You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Influenza and pneumonia vaccinations have been shown to decrease the relative morbidity for people with diabetes. The risk is especially high when factors such as cardiovascular disease or kidney disease are present. Joining us to discuss the importance of vaccinations for people with diabetes is pharmacist at the University of California, San Diego, Skagg School of Pharmacy, Dr. Sarah Lorenz, and I am Dr. Candace Morello, sitting in for Dr. Stephen Edelman. Dr. Lorenz, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. As it relates to immunizations, what are some concerns that people with diabetes might have? People with diabetes are about three times more likely to die of flu or pneumonia than people without diabetes, and about six times are more likely to be hospitalized with flu. So, in other words, that's about 10,000 to 30,000 people with diabetes that die of complications or of flu or pneumonia each year. During flu epidemics, we've noted that death among patients with diabetes has increased by 5 or 15 percent. So the vaccinations are a significant part of preventative care for these patients. And what are the key issues regarding vaccinations, particularly with people with diabetes? In the patients with diabetes, one of the main concerns is immunosuppression. And according to the American Diabetes Association, uh, patients who have abnormalities um, in their immune function secondary to the diabetes Um, This causes an increase in morbidity and mortality just because they're a little bit more susceptible to the infections. And um, they also may note, if they do have some chronic kidney disease or cardiovascular disease, that these patients as well also have increased complications related to the various infectious diseases such as influenza or pneumonia. So what are some of the common acute complications that we see when patients contract influenza or pneumonia? Uh, Some of the main complications that you see with patients who get influenza would be a secondary pneumonia. And um, most of the time, those patients end up being hospitalized. And people, of course, do end up dying with the pneumonia um, if they're already immunocompromised to some extent. Um, There are patients as well who just get the viral pneumonia, um, which is actually quite uncommon, um, but it can also have a high fatality rate. And for um, just patients across the board, many of them end up with severe sinusitis infections. They can also have worsening of bronchitis. And there are patients as well who develop myocarditis. So those are the few of the complications that we see most with influenza. Um, as far as the uh, pneumococcal uh, pneumonia, um, many of the patients also end up with other complications um, such as bacteremia or meningitis. And in children that hadn't been immunized, we also saw large numbers of otitis media. Well, it sounds like 
there are definitely some key recommendations that we want to have for patients and for healthcare workers. What would you recommend? As far as healthcare workers are concerned, they play a major role in keeping all of our patients safe from other types of um, infectious diseases that they can be immunized against. And some of the main types of things that we do recommend for our healthcare workers would be, of course, the influenza vaccine on an annual basis. Um, that's very important, and more and more hospitals are requiring it of all of their employees. And, of course, this year we have one of the new uh, influenza strains, and it's the 2009 H1N1 flu, and we're also recommending that our healthcare workers are immunized against that as well. Um, the other uh, types of inf- immunizations that we recommend for our healthcare employees is the hepatitis B vaccine is a three-dose series. Um, it is given on day zero and then one month out and then again uh, five months out. Um, so that's very important. Also for healthcare workers born in 1957 or later without serological evidence of prior immunity, um, vaccination is also recommended for them as well. Uh, healthcare workers also need proof of immunity to varicella, and that also can be supplied with a uh, vaccination in two doses that are given at least 28 days apart. And then, of course, for all patients, including healthcare workers, we recommend the tetanus diphtheria, and that's given every 10 years. And then one time as an adult, they also want to add the pertussis to that. The other vaccine that is also recommended is the meningococcal vaccine. Yeah, those are excellent recommendations, particularly with regard to what to get vaccinated for. What about hand washing and those sorts of precautions? Yeah, that's really, really important as far as any patients are concerned. We do recommend that people are very uh, concerned about hand washing. They can uh, wash their hands with soap and water after coming in contact with a tissue if they've sneezed or coughed into a tissue. We want them to wash their hands right away. Um, They can also use the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. So um, either soap and water or hand sanitizers both work very well and are important for people who are in contact with others who might be sneezing or coughing or have any other symptoms of of flu. Yeah, and I notice in the schools and then for adults as well, if a tissue is not available, then sneezing and coughing into their elbow area or just not directly on their hands. All right, good. Yeah, and you mentioned the H1N1. We've been seeing a lot more of this in our our hospitals, our health systems, and in clinics. What are the risks specifically to patients with diabetes? Well, again, the risks are going to be much greater for people with diabetes because they're um, slightly immunocompromised state, and so it's very important that they also become vaccinated. Uh, We're trying to get all of the children vaccinated from six months up to 24 years of age, and for anyone with chronic diseases such as diabetes, um, all of those patient groups uh, should be vaccinated as well. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Candace Morello, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sarah Lorenz. We are discussing immunizations for people with diabetes. So, Sarah, what are some of the benefits of vaccinations for people with diabetes? 
Well, some of the main vaccinations are obviously to prevent morbidity and mortality. Um, Just in the general population alone, each year about 36,000 people die from flu-related complications, and there are more than 200,000 people are hospitalized. Um, So this is one of the main things that we're trying to prevent in our, particularly in our patients who have chronic diseases such as diabetes. And stay home, right? If you do get it, Absolutely. stay home. <laughs> stay home for at least 24 hours after the fever subsides. Okay, excellent. What are the contraindications for um, getting the vaccinations? Well, there's uh, a couple of contraindications for the flu vaccine, and those mainly just have to do with anaphylaxis, from previous years, if you've ever had a flu vaccine and you've had anaphylaxis, or if you are extremely allergic to chicken eggs. So if you had a severe allergy where you had anaphylaxis, that would be contraindicated. Um, There are a few precautions, however, um, which would include any um, Guillain-Barre, Guillain-Barre syndrome that you would have developed perhaps within six weeks of the influenza vaccine in the past. And if you've had any other types of severe reactions, not necessarily anaphylaxis, we'd certainly want to use precaution and discuss it with other health professionals as to whether or not that would be appropriate. Um, We also usually like to wait on giving the flu vaccine if there's been moderate or severe illness um, at the time that the patient is coming to you. And so you would wait until they were completely better, their immune system was back up. Right, okay. right. Mm-hmm. If, if a patient still has mild illness um, with just a very low-grade fever, it is acceptable to give the flu vaccine. Um, but if, if they're running a high fever and just definitely not feeling well at all, we usually recommend waiting. Now, what are the strategies for people with diabetes who are cared for by health systems? So we're recommending that people get vaccinated early on in the fall. And if they haven't, though, however, it is good to remind people uh, to go ahead and get the flu vaccine um, as late as December, January, February, because sometimes we do have an upsurge in the number of cases in the late winter and even early spring. Are there any resources that healthcare providers can go to? Yes, I think that the CDC website is an outstanding place to get all of the most up-to-date information on the flu vaccine and all the other vaccines that are out there. Um, There's a resource on the CDC website that's called the Pink Book, Hmm. and that's a downloadable version with a synopsis on all of the various vaccines. And then there's links to certainly many different sites and and many different resources. I noticed there's new information. It seems to be coming out weekly. And so the CDC sounds like that would be the most up-to-date resource for for healthcare providers and even patients. Yes, absolutely. Uh, The nice thing about the CDC website is that it has very good information for healthcare providers. And then it also designates other areas where patients can go to to get information as well. So it's, there's just a lot of information out there. Uh, one of the sites that's very helpful, I think, for patients and practitioners as well is one of the places where you can go to and find out what vaccinations do you need. Oh. And it, it's a questionnaire, and it goes over everything from what your lifestyle is, if you're a student living in a dormitory or whether you're living in a nursing home or chronic care facility, 
whether or not you might be at risk for hepatitis A or hepatitis B. And, of course, you can include things such as your disease state if you have diabetes. And um, it comes up then with a list of different types of vaccines that you should talk to your provider about. And where would people find that quiz? Um, That quiz is at www.cdc.gov forward slash NIP adult IMM SCED, S-C-H-E-D. I'd like to thank our guest, pharmacist at the UCSD Skaggs School of Pharmacy, Dr. Sarah Lorenz. Dr. Lorenz, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you very much, Dr. Morello. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.